Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. No icing for the first time in 39 years. The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Two-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Happy Eve to New Year's Eve, everybody. This is the 617 Sports Podcast here, episode 9. Episode 9 of the 617 Sports Podcast. Like I said, coming to you on the eve of New Year's Eve, and there's a lot of buzz in the air, a lot of excitement. I feel like everybody is ready to bid farewell to the year 2020, flip the calendars, and try again in 2021. This has been a not a, not a fun year for sports, for Boston sports, for just life in general uh, all around the world. Everyone, I think, is has no love lost with 2020. But before we jump into anything else, we're going to start with the most important 90 seconds of your day. That's everything in the world of sports, not just here in Boston. We're going all across all the leagues, and we're starting in the NBA. Yes, the NBA is tipped off. We've got a, a great slate of games, uh, the Celtics, but also the NBA just in general. Milwaukee Bucks set a record for three-pointers made in a single game. That came in a complete thrashing of the Milwaukee uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks. The, the Bucks thrashed the Miami Heat. They made 29 three-pointers in a single game. That is an NBA record. John Morant out three to five weeks for the Memphis Grizzlies with a somewhat significant ankle injury. Celtics play the Grizzlies tonight, so... Uh, should make that matchup a little easier. And the Clippers lost by 51 points to the Dallas Mavericks early this earlier this week. And uh, that marks one of the largest losses in Clippers history. Going to the NFL quickly, the New York Jets win again. Not only did they win a couple weeks ago and you know possibly lose the number one overall pick, it's definitely not going to happen because they beat the Cleveland Browns, thus propelling the Pittsburgh Steelers to claiming the AFC North. Cleveland now is... Of, uh, battling for a wild card playoff spot. The Washington football team is also fighting for their division. A win against the Eagles, and it's theirs. They're that close. Alex Smith has been injured. They cut Dwayne Haskins after he was seen at a strip club partying. So they're on to their third quarterback in Washington, but they've got a chance to clinch that terrible uh, NFC Eastern division. In the MLB, we've got some MLB news. The only team that's really doing anything is the San Diego Padres. Uh, we know them as the Slam Diego Padres due to all the grand slams they hit with Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and company. Well, they've acquired two stud pitchers through some trades. They went out and got Hugh Darvish from the Chicago Cubs, and they also got Cy Young winner Blake Snell. Famously remember him exiting Game 6 of the World Series this year against the Dodgers. 
Well, now he's going to go to San Diego and face the National League. Should be interesting. He'll see the Dodgers a lot more than just in the World Series. Going quickly to the NHL, we have some games have been announced. The season will start on the 13th of January when the Flyers take on the Penguins at 5.30 for puck drop. If you're looking to see when the Bruins play first, it's at the New Jersey Devils on January 14th. We do not have a start time for that game, but... Nice to see the NHL sort of trickle out the schedule, similar to what the NBA did. And that's the most important 90 seconds of your day. That's everything happening in the world of sports, not just here in Boston, but all around the country. So, now that that's out of the way, hope everyone had a good holiday. I know I enjoyed my Christmas, despite Kyrie Irving doing his best to ruin it. We'll talk about that a little later. But I enjoyed the holidays. It was a nice time to just sit back. Like I said, just relax. 2020 has not been my favorite year. And uh, I think it was a good way to close out the year. Christmas was fun, Hanukkah, everything. Whatever you celebrate, whatever you did, I hope it was uh, enjoyable. And let's look forward to a new year. And in order to look forward to a new year, I think you got to close the chapter on this year. And that would be closing the season with the Patriots. The New England Patriots have been eliminated from the playoffs. There's only one game remaining on their schedule, and it's against the uh, two-win New York Jets. So uh, I think it's only fitting that we start at the end of a season, and that's with the Patriots. After losing to Miami and being mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, uh, the only thing that was going to keep me interested as a fan was getting to see Jared Stidham start. Uh, I think Cam Newton has shown you what he's uh, able to do. And I've I've said many times that I no longer believe that Cam Newton is uh, not only your best opportunity to win today, but I don't think he's going to help you win tomorrow. There's no future that I can see with Cam Newton being uh, in a Patriots uniform because I understand there's a lack of talent. I understand that, uh, you know, wide receivers and tight end have been pretty thin for the Patriots this year, but that doesn't make up for the fact that Cam Newton only has five passing touchdowns on the season. And you've seen quarterbacks throw for that many in a single game, uh, let alone an entire season. It's just not acceptable anymore. So when... Bill Belichick trotted out Cam Newton to play Monday night against the Bills. I was enraged, disappointed, upset, confused, every adjective but happy. And uh, I'm just at a point now where I I have no defense anymore. Like, you can't tell me that Cam Newton, by any means, is the uh, best quarterback on the team. He threw for 34 yards in this game on 10 attempts, right? So he completed half of his passes, uh, didn't throw for a touchdown, didn't throw for an interception. But, you know, again, he he wasn't able to to do anything on offense to start the game. The Patriots uh, get into a pretty early deficit to the Buffalo Bills. And uh, look, they scored nine points on three field goals in the first half. And then uh, that was it. You end up losing this game 38 to nine. Obviously, Buffalo is coming in trying to get a, a higher seed in the playoffs. They're hungry. They they just came off winning the division for the first time in 20 years. But 
you know, where's that Patriots pride? Where's that, you know, uh, that Patriot way of being tough and, and not folding? I mean, you didn't put up a fight at all in this game. Uh, I think that uh, for everything that we've given Bill Belichick credit for as a coach and, and making sure the team's prepared on game day, these last three weeks, you can't tell me that that's the case. After completely dismantling the uh, Chargers 45 to nothing, You've gone on to lose 24 to 3, 22 to 12, and 38 to 9. And those were against the Rams, the Dolphins, the Bills, all three playoff teams in their respective conferences. And that right there goes to show you just how far away the Patriots are from making the playoffs, uh, even next year, without some significant changes to the roster, because those are the teams that you have to compete with, and they were all double digit losses. So for me, I was looking at this stretch uh, as, okay, maybe you aren't going to make the playoffs, but let's see how competitive you are against playoff teams. Let me see what the roster is going to look like for next year. Like, put Stidham in, and if Stidham just, you know, clearly shows he doesn't have it, then that that's okay with me. Then you can move on and wipe your hands of every starting, I mean, of every quarterback that you currently have on your roster and just blow up the QB room and start all over again next year. But I can't officially write off Jared Stidham without seeing him with a full week of practice, full week of preparation, and putting him in at the very beginning of a game. Again, I don't care about his performances in mop-up duty. I don't care what he looks like when you've already put him in a 20-point hole and now you're saying, hey, kid, uh, yeah, the defense... Uh, on the other side, knows we're going to have to pass heavy. They're going to be roaring. It's already a lost game. Go out there and try to do your best. Like That's not a fair opportunity. And again, I've said this a million times, and this is why it just keeps bothering me, is that Cam Newton hasn't done anything to earn the starting job. He hasn't. No, he hasn't earned it. So Bill Belichick's continuing to play him flies in the face of everything that he has built in the program for the New England Patriots. You earn your play and you earn your pay. And Cam Newton hasn't done either of those. So people in the are in the media they're talking about, oh well Bill Belichick wants to make good on some, you know, contracts that he signed with Cam Newton where there's incentives for percentage of snaps played and games started and XYZ. Look, you earn those incentives. And if Bill Belichick's trotting this guy out here just to have him hit those negotiated numbers, I mean, you should fire him. Like, that's tam- That's like, that's uh, uh, not putting the team first. You know, that's having ulterior motives other than just win the game. That's make sure this guy gets paid. That doesn't make sense to me. You know, I'm obviously not calling for Bill Belichick's head or anything like that. You know, I, I think he still should be the head coach. There's not a single guy in the National Football League I'd want calling plays and, and devising game plans. This is a real indictment on Bill Belichick as a uh, as a program system creator. You know, we've given him so much credit for the do-your-job Patriots and the Patriot way. And, you know, we sit there after Super Bowl wins and 
I know I sit down and watch those do your job documentaries that they come out with that show you, oh, just how Belichick is a genius and was able to win this Super Bowl and this, that, and the other thing. And now he's out there just playing Cam Newton so he can get his incentives. Come on. Come on, Bill. I said it last time. Come on, Bill. That's garbage. And I don't even, I, I know Stidham probably isn't, uh, uh, the answer to the Patriots' woes. But I can't, I cannot, in good conscience, completely write the kid off until he gets his opportunity. And I think the fact that he was on the team last year, sat under Brady, soaked up whatever Brady was still putting in, and I understand that last year wasn't Brady's best year, right? If you had to mentor, if you had to be mentored by Brady, I'm sure 2019 wasn't the year to do it. But anyways, he did. He saw what Brady was like. He understood the, 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 the amount of professionalism that he brought to the game. He sat on the bench all last year. This year, you know, you, you bring in Cam Newton to try and uh, replace Brady. That obviously doesn't go well because you don't make the playoffs. What has Jared Stidham done to not deserve, again, just one look? When Cam got COVID, you gave Brian Hoyer a look. He you know crapped himself and obviously we haven't seen him since but what is what has Stidham done to not deserve it and there's stories oh he went to some wedding and 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 preseason and oh maybe he's not you know the hardest worker which is like I don't know how you can say that uh, just because a guy goes to a wedding I mean that's you know again you know if it's like oh well that's not the patriot way well then you know how about Cam Newton caught COVID brought COVID into the locker room, gave it to Gilmore, creates this whole controversy. How's that the Patriot way? You're going to give that guy starting minutes? Had Cam get COVID? I heard it was, you know, oh, there's photos of Cam Newton taking selfies with fans in front of Faneuil Hall or the Prudential Marketplace. So don't tell me that Cam Newton's been some, you know, perfect little QB. The guy on the on the field, he's awful. And he went out there and got COVID and brought that into the locker room. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to, to make that seem like it's a character flaw in Cam Newton. But if a, if a wedding for like his best friend in Stidham is an indictment on him, then how is Cam Newton getting COVID also not an indictment on him? Just saying, you know, call a spade a spade. Cam Newton hasn't been good, hasn't deserved his play, and Bill Belichick still trots him out there. And it's honestly a slap in the face as a fan because you're not putting out the best product. You're not, you're not looking at uh, the future. And if Cam Newton's your quarterback next year, I don't know. I have to boycott the team or something. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. This guy, is, is his numbers are so historically bad this year especially given the the context of exactly what uh what era we're in for football i mean these numbers would be good if it was like 1950 patriots weren't even a team back then but cam newton is 26th in the league in passing yards 34th in the league for touchdowns and has a qbr of 45.1 which is good for 29th in the league just let those numbers sit for a minute. How about the fact that there's only 32 
teams in the league, which means there should be 32 starting quarterbacks, and Cam Newton's tied for 34th in touchdown passes. That means that you've had a couple of backups go in there and throw for more touchdowns than Cam Newton. He's had a couple good games where he's been able to sling the ball for 300-plus yards, so we know he can do it. But guess what? Those games come in losses. Seattle, he threw for, I think, like 392 yards almost. That's a loss. Threw for 360 yards against the Texans. Well, that's a loss. So even when the guy shows he can actually be an NFL quarterback slinging the ball, you're losing those games. So I don't care that uh, that they lost against Buffalo. I don't necessarily uh, want to see them only worse in their draft pick. But I think it's just the fact that there's been this lack of adaptation by Bill Belichick where every other position, if a guy is 34th in his position in the league, he wouldn't be playing. And for some reason, Bill Belichick is giving a pass to Cam Newton. I think it's it's so damaging to his program and what he's built here and what fans expect. We expect no BS, you know, no divas, no, you know, preference to any player. We treat everybody the same from the guy at the top all the way down to number 53 on the roster. You earn every second that you get out there on the field. And, and that hasn't been the case this year. And that's, you know, I think that goes to show you that maybe uh, maybe the dynasty is over. And, you know, obviously Brady was a large part of that. But I'm just saying the Bill Belichick dynasty. Because as soon as you see Bill, like, in these post-game conferences talking about stats and oh, we've been doing this for 20 years, we're not going to change now, and blah, 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 and, you know, whoa, Cam threw for 300 yards. Like, you know, Bill just hasn't sounded the same in the in the post-game press conferences. He's treating players differently. I, maybe it's over. And we'll see what happens next year. We'll see how they retool. But, you know, I've got no faith in his ability to build a roster. We know he hasn't been able to draft very well. He, he's missed on a lot of trades. The Patriots don't spend uh, as much money in free agency uh, as other teams do. So where do you think the talent's going to come from, right? Well, his last Pro Bowl that he Pro Bowler that he drafted was Jamie Collins, who's now left the team twice. His last uh, uh, the last trade that he won couldn't even tell you. He sent a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu. That didn't work out very well. You know, he's he, he's traded for, you know, uh, other players over the recent years to try and, and fill in this roster, uh, and, and it hasn't worked out very well. He drafted a two, wide, uh, two tight ends in the third round last year. They have one catch between the two of them all year. Two third-round picks, both tight ends, and for an entire season combined, they have one catch. Like, I have no faith that this guy's going to build a roster. So why should I be all excited for next year? Maybe if you put in Jared Stidham these last couple weeks and he looked even just okay, I'd have a little bit of excitement. 
but there's no reason. There's no reason as a fan to to waste time watching the Patriots, caring about them. I don't even want to talk about them anymore. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm just going to leave it at that. I got no faith in the Patriots whatsoever. I think Belichick is is going against his word, going against his system, his mantra, team first, earn your pay, earn your play, all that, do your job, whatever. Cam Newton's not doing his job. And you're playing him. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Hopefully 2021 is a lot kinder to the Patriots. So with that, we close that season. We close 2020. And we've actually got a new season that just started with the Boston Celtics. And as we look forward to 2021, I'm going to look forward to this NBA season. Because in the first four games, the Celtics are 2-2. Two and two. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They lost to the Brooklyn Nets. And they are 1-1 one one split with the Indiana Pacers. So I've got a, a lot of stats and numbers to throw at you guys, right, for all these different games and things that have looked good, have looked bad. But just from the eye test over all four games, uh, I've noticed a couple of things that I think a lot of people would take no genius to talk about. Number one, Tristan Thompson. I think he is an excellent addition to this team. He's averaging 8.6 rebounds a game. What's more important to me is that he's averaging 4.3 defensive rebounds and 4.3 offensive rebounds. And why does that matter? The amount of second chance possessions that the Celtics are getting a game just because he's in there is like five. Five extra possessions on offense because he's in the game. He's by and far the leader in offensive rebounds. Excuse me. He's by and far the team leader in offensive rebounds with that with that 4.3. And he's doing his job. He's not taking a high volume amount of shots, but he's been pretty consistent with his uh, contribution on offense and defense. Like I said, he's grabbing rebounds. He's giving you more possession, more possessions, and uh, just at the eye test, I really like that signing. I've also been really happy with the way that. Jeff Teague has been able to step in and provide some good minutes. Uh, Jeff Teague is averaging eight and a half points this season with uh, two and a half assists. He's also averaging just about a steal and a half a game. So he's been a nice little uh, fill-in for Kemba Walker, uh, who hasn't really been around, obviously due to injury. You didn't know how the season was going to start, so... Jeff Teague is sort of your backup point guard while um, you're waiting for Kemba to rehab, and he's done a phenomenal job. So the Teague and Tristan Thompson signings by Danny Ainge that happened you know, just over a month ago, or even under a month ago, uh, those have been really impactful. Uh, so those were good quality moves by Danny Ainge, uh, and there's just part of the reason why the Celtics are staying afloat here. Also, the gap between Tatum and Brown. I know Jason Tatum gets a lot of the hype. I think he's absolutely the better player between the two of them on offense. But something I've noticed here is uh, that they, Tatum only averages one more point a game than Jalen Brown. And it's only four games. I get it. But the the gap between the two might not be as big as we think. And I don't know what exactly does that mean. Does that mean that 
oh man, the the, the Celtics are loaded. Jalen Brown is is basically just as good as Jason Tatum, or does that mean, geez, Jason Tatum's actually he's actually more like Jalen Brown than he is, you know, a uh, uh, top ten player in the league. He, he he's more, you know, which one is it? And I think how that plays out will determine ultimately the the ceiling of this team but they're they're similar right now uh tatum's averaging 25 and a half points per game whereas jalen brown is averaging 24 and a half so like i said only separated by a point seems like um you know the the two of them there's enough ball to go around they've been playing phenomenal together they're combining for over 40 points you know a game consistently here and uh, I want to jump into the actual specific games. So the Milwaukee Bucks were, uh, we opened the season. And look, they were the best team in the NBA last year in the regular season. They had the best record. They sign, they re-sign Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, you know, their, their prodigy. Uh, he is committed to them for five years. So that takes a lot of, of pressure off of them. He's back-to-back MVP. They go out and acquire Drew Holiday from the Pelicans. And on paper, it looked like this was going to be a historically talented defensive team. Obviously, uh, the Greek Freak won Defensive Player of the Year last year, along with his MVP. Josh picked him to repeat uh, as Defensive Player of the Year. I loved that pick. I think this guy can cover the perimeter, but he can also you know defend at the rim. He's so athletic, yet extremely tall and physically gifted that he's a matchup nightmare for basically everybody then they go out and acquire drew holiday who's been an all nba defender uh you know the guy is one of the the few point guards that can actually play defense play very strong guard defense he was doing it against those western conference guys where there's just so much more talent at point guard i've talked about it before but they've got you know he was going up against the curries and the the Damian Lillards and the Russell Westbrooks and everything like that, a consistent basis, Chris Paul, you know, these were his nightly matchups, and he was an all-NBA defender. So you bring him to the East, pair him up with Giannis, and I thought they were going to be a historic defense. Couple that with, again, the fact that Kemba Walker is out, I was really worried that the Celtics were going to have a difficult time scoring on Milwaukee. Just didn't love that this was the first game of the year, you had such a short preseason. You, you have changed your offense a lot with uh, the the subtraction of um, Gordon Hayward, the injury to, to Kemba. I was worried. And what did the Celtics go out and do? They dropped 122 points. Uh, uh, and that's not in the overtime or anything like that. That's 122 points in just four quarters. That's averaging over 30 points a quarter. And proved me wrong again basically I, maybe i'm wrong about milwaukee maybe i'm wrong about the celtics uh offensively because jason tatum and jalen brown whew, boy they, they averaged they, they combined for 63 points this game jalen brown uh, actually had more points than tatum he had 33 and tatum only at 30 but again those two were just phenomenal uh also another key key point in this game Marcus Smart, he's a guy that's taken a lot of criticism for his offense, especially since the NBA bubble and everything that happened where he shot 
uh, more than anyone else did in that elimination game in the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami. You know, everyone said this guy needs to accept his role. He's a defender. He's not, you know, he shouldn't be shooting that much. He only had three shots, only three field goal attempts in this first opener against Milwaukee. I thought that's extremely important to track exactly how much does Marcus Smart chuck the ball because I can't question his grittiness, his toughness, his uh, those, those key defensive plays that he makes on the field deserve to be on the court in big moments, but when his shot selection is so bad and he's just jacking up these you know, contested threes or he's not moving the ball around. And again, he's taking uh, shots away from Jalen and Jason. I don't like that. So the three the, the three field goal attempts, I, uh, I, I, I liked to see that. That means that Brad Stevens got through to him a little bit in the offseason. So in a game where the Celtics score 122 points, you'd say, wow, easy dub, easy dub. That's not the case. It actually was only a one-point victory in the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it took Giannis Antetokounmpo missing a free throw with 0.4 seconds on the clock that ultimately prevailed and, and won you the game. So if Giannis makes his free throw, you're basically going to overtime. And seeing as how the, the Milwaukee Bucks played in the fourth quarter, there's uh, little reason to think the Celtics were going to pull that one out. In uh, fourth quarter... Uh, struggles is, is is a common theme i've noticed at least in the early part of the season the celtics had a 17 point lead against milwaukee going into the fourth quarter they blew that lead in just eight minutes because at the four minute and 22 second mark in the fourth quarter the game was tied 113 113 and while the celtics ended up winning the game like i said it took a missed free throw to do it and you can't blow a 17-point lead in under eight minutes. Like, that is historically bad. That is, you have to try to do that, it almost seems like. And, you know, I get it. The Milwaukee Bucks, uh, just a couple nights ago, uh, as you heard earlier, they, they broke a record for most threes with 29. So they're definitely able to pour it on offensively when they need to, but... You know, that's something from the Celtics that's concerning. A 17-point lead. Uh, we know that the NBA is a game of, of going on runs, who's going to be hot at any moment, and games can turn. We've seen the Celtics come back from 17 before, but never in, like, eight minutes. You know what I mean? Like, that's like Atlanta Falcons bad. <laughs> um, that made me laugh. <laughs> but uh, I want to move on. I want to stay too long on one game. We're going to go to the Brooklyn Nets. So again, you beat Milwaukee 122-121. That is a huge win. Again, 63 points from the two Jays. Uh, you, you get Marcus Smart reducing his shots. Even though you blow a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter, at least you had one, and you win the game against the reigning MVP, against the team with the best record last year. So great win. I didn't expect them to win that game. And maybe that got my hopes up a little bit against Brooklyn. It's uh, Christmas Day. 5 o'clock tip-off for the Boston Celtics as they host the uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving-led Brooklyn Warriors. And coming into this, Brooklyn Warriors, Brooklyn Nets, uh, coming into this game, they crushed the Warriors. They crushed them to start the season. Uh, Kyrie and and 
KD looked like they were going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, and that was no different when they came into to Boston. And this game had so much hype around it, right? It's Christmas Day. You know, I, I remember the, the ESPN ads, you know, Christmas Day, Kyrie Irving's return to Boston. And it was like, oh, my God, you know, getting so jacked up for it. And we got absolutely killed, at least the final scoreboard. If you just look at it, you just Googled, you know, Celtics Christmas Day, what was the score? Uh, not pretty. The Boston Celtics lost 123-95, to failing to even crack 100 points in the game. And look, that was a, another opportunity where coming into the third quarter, it was actually a very close game. You know, uh, it was the fourth quarter where the Boston Celtics completely fell apart. And, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, blame everything. You know, the whole game matters. But in the fourth quarter, right, it was um, the Celtics were down by nine points. So you're already coming in in a hole. But you lost that quarter. You were outscored in just the fourth quarter alone, 37 to 18. So... Yeah, are you down by nine points in, in coming into the quarter? Absolutely, but you know you can make up nine. I mean, Milwaukee made up seventeen points in eight minutes. You can make up nine points easily, and instead you just the offense became completely anemic, where the Brooklyn Nets just poured it on again, thirty-seven to eighteen in the fourth quarter. Uh, that 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 that's unacceptable again in a in a high market game you're playing the Brooklyn Nets I get it they're extremely talented they've got prolific scorers on uh between Durant and, and Irving but geez guys where's the fight you know that's the fourth quarter that's that's game time we need those buckets and it wasn't there uh, I think what what the Brooklyn Nets have been able to do defensively is is kind of what I thought Milwaukee would be. Uh, they held the Golden State Warriors to 99 points. Like I said, they obviously held the Celtics to 95 points. Uh, they, they've been pretty scary defensively as well as on offense. So they're, they're a team to look out for. I think everyone knew Brooklyn was going to be good. But uh, this was a game where the three-point shot just wasn't there for the Celtics. As a team, I think they shot below 30%, which is never going to... Uh, win you anything in the NBA you got to be able to shoot quality uh, percentages from behind the arc but if we look at what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did uh, they combined for 47 points once again Brown outscored Tatum uh, he had 30 he had 27 to, to Tatum's 20 but even just between those guys the three-point shot wasn't there they were combined two of ten which is only 20 percent so it seems like the Celtics live and die by the three-point shot especially between their two young studs that have been kind of nicknamed the Jays, uh, not the Toronto Blue Jays, but just the Jays. And it was a game where Kyrie Irving went off. He had 37 points. He was 7 of 10 for three point from the three-point range. So he was, uh, he was locked in coming back to Boston. I think uh, the no fans definitely helped him with his, uh, you know, he didn't have to hear the boos and the crowd and everyone yelling at him. He was able to just do his thing and boy oh boy did he do his thing 37 points is uh to Durant's 29 so the two of them combined for you know again uh 66 points that's kind of like what the Celtics did to Milwaukee you know so if you're if your two best players can go for 60 combined you're going to be in a good place so they're one and one 
coming out uh, coming out of the gate, and those were you easily could have been 0 and 2. I think everyone, uh, if the Celtics had gone 0 and 2, they would have said, "Yeah, that's what I expected." And that's where we get to this two game mini series against the Indiana Pacers, who are are a good good benchmark team, right? If you're better than the Pacers, I saw someone had had said this. Uh, if you're better than the Pacers, you're a good team. If you lose to the Pacers, you've got some problems. You know, they're, they're one of those teams where, again, they're, they've got some good pieces. They've got Sabonis. They've got Miles Turner, uh, Brogdon, Oladipo. But they're just not really in contention for, you know, a, a playoff run. I think, like, uh, you know, Miami, for example, is is one of those teams where, you know, when they made it to the to the NBA Finals last year, like, did that shock me? Yes. But I think when Miami's playing their best, it's absolutely on the table. I don't think Indiana's one of these teams that even when they're on full firing on all cylinders, they're a real threat. But they've got good pieces. They've got decent coaching. And, you know, they're a team that you, if you want to really be a contender, you need to beat them, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, losing to Indiana probably means you're you're not you're not really one of the the top teams in the NBA and the Celtics split one and one and that's fine that's absolutely fine both games were in Indiana uh, the Celtics lost the first game uh, 107 to 108 and you know a one-point defeat uh, is, is something that you know I think the Celtics are gonna see a lot of they're gonna be in these close games you barely beat Milwaukee and you barely lost to Indiana so this is gonna be a team that plays a lot of tight games down the stretch and that's why the fourth quarter matters so much you can't be losing the fourth quarter by 17 points 18 points and expect to be winning close games it's just you know not realistic and I think against Indiana they were sort of able to turn it around Uh, they actually outscored Indiana in the fourth quarter 24 to 20 in that first game that they ultimately lost by one point Uh, but that was you know sort of a turning point for the Celtics you know they came in uh, losing by I believe nine points in that fourth quarter battle back they make it a close game and ultimately doesn't go their way but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, didn't really have good games again they were only three of ten from three-point range in that game and uh, they combined for only 44 points so I'm sorry 43 points so again how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown go is pretty much how the Celtics are going to go and if they're shooting 30% from three if they're if they're combining for you know uh, uh, less than 50 points it's probably not going to be pretty and you know other guys did step up Peyton Pritchard had a really good game he was perfect from the field perfect from three he was three for three from behind the arc. He contributed 13 points with uh, two assists. They also got a pretty good game from Robert Williams. He was six of seven from the field with four rebounds uh, and 12 points. But again, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown not shooting the ball very well. Ultimately, you lose that game. Excuse me. So let's go to last night. It's a it's the second game against Indiana. It's you know if you get swept by Indiana. Like I said, you're going to start to feel like you've got some problems here. And you get into the fourth quarter of this game, and the Celtics are losing once again. And it's a, a crucial, a crucial fourth quarter. Uh, and 
finally, finally, the Celtics pour it on. They ended up winning the quarter 33-17. to That's crunch time. And they win the game by five points, 116-111. to And that is exactly what you needed to do. This game shows you uh, just how important your starters are, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, while they combined for only 47 points, which, again, less than that 50-point mark that I kind of set them at needing to hit. Their three-point shooting was so much better because it was so much more efficient. They only shot five three-pointers between the two of them, but they made two of them. So they shot 40% from three, uh, but it was under a significantly less amount of shots. So I'll take two for five instead of going like, you know, four for 10 or five, you know, five for 15. If you're not going to shoot the lights out and make a high clip, then don't shoot that much. And that's exactly what they did. They were able to, to be effective in different ways. Jason Tatum was finally getting to the line. I think he shot 10 free throws last night. That's huge for him. He played 40 minutes in that game. That's a that's pretty much pretty much the entire game. He only rested for eight minutes, uh, and uh, you got good contributions from you know some of those other pieces. Where again, uh, Marcus Smart poured in 17 points, but he was uh, three for three, uh, three for six from behind the arc. So that's an efficient 50% from Marcus Smart, which I don't say that that often. And he only took 10 shots. Is that a little bit more than I wanted him to take? Yeah. Am I happy that a majority of his shots taken were from the three-point range? No. But he was making them at a high percentage. So you can't just tie a guy's hand behind his back. You have to let him shoot. And I was very happy that he recognized, okay, I'm in a good, I'm in a good uh, flow right now. And that ultimately uh, you know, led him to, to having a good night. Guys like uh, you know Tristan Thompson, huge night on the on the glass. Ten rebounds. Uh, he averaged. He put in fourteen points and uh, played twenty seven minutes for you. So he he's looking to be a really nice piece. I highlighted him early on. And this was just a great win for the Celtics. They seemed like the fourth quarter. They finally turned it on, and they're uh, they're now two and two on the season. They come back to five hundred and. You know, I, I can't really uh, can't really ask for much more than that. Indiana's like a good team, but you can't lose to them twice, and that's exactly what the Celtics were able to avoid having happen. So when you play the Memphis Grizzlies tonight with no Ja Morant, must-win game. And it's not must-win as in like the fate of the season falls on it, but uh, th- when you're in such a high-powered Eastern Conference with teams like Milwaukee and and Philadelphia emerging, uh, obviously Brooklyn as well. You can't be losing these games when you're playing a, a wounded, lesser opponent. You got to have them. And it, we've seen some pretty crazy upsets. You know, Brooklyn lost to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, the Bucks lost to the New York Knicks. We've seen blowouts across the league that have kind of had my jaw hit the floor. Like I said, did I think Miami was going to be uh, contending for the finals again this year? No, but they lost by like 50 points last night to Milwaukee. The Clippers lost by 50 points to the Mavericks. Like there's been blowouts all over the league. And I think that just kind of has to do with the the COVID, lack of preseason and everything like that. But when you look at the Celtics, you know, next three games, it's against the Grizzlies tonight where Boston is hosting and then they go to Detroit for two games to play the Pistons and that's how they start the new year so that's a nice three game stretch where 
you know you're playing teams that you absolutely should beat uh you started off with a difficult schedule with milwaukee and and brooklyn kind of easing into the new year with a with a good slate and and to be honest with you the the entire month of um the entire month of january is a fairly easy schedule you're playing like i said the pistons twice you've got the Owen four wizards you've got the the chicago bulls you've got the magic for back-to-back games at home you play the new york knicks you play the Cavs, you play the bulls again so th- those are some pretty easy games now you have some you have some other uh you've got the miami heat in there twice you've got uh the 76ers in there twice and you end the the month with the lakers but still a majority of your games are against teams that didn't even make the playoffs last year so you know let's let's have a good start to the new year let's get back on track you've you started off two and two and now you've got some easy opponents time to as jalen brown once said not play with your food time to just eat feast you're obviously uh, shown that you're able to contend with some of the league's best players i mean some of the league's best teams despite not having your full roster yet and i think that's important the the first x amount of weeks that we don't have have kemba walker i've heard it's the first four weeks the first 10 weeks whatever it ends up being this is a great snapshot at where the celtics are when it's just tatum and brown how does the offense look how does the defense look are they able to share the basketball because it seems like right now with them both averaging around 25 points a game that there's a there's enough basketball to go around for the two of them and you know how does the team look because Kemba Walker for everything that he is as a player and a person he's great in the media he's great as a leader he's injured and he's getting a ton of money obviously uh, you would you'd rather see your you know 30 million dollar guy be a lot more impactful especially in the playoffs where he only averaged 17 and a half points where a box in one zone was just killing him he was only having he had some games with like under 10 points we don't need to keep going back to the nba bubble in, in the playoffs last year but i was very curious to see what the celtics were going to look like without him so far it seems like jason tatum and jalen brown are fully capable of you know putting on the backpack as uh as josh likes to say and and carrying this team but let's let's let a couple more games come you're playing some easy opponents and, and by the time we check in next week i'd like to see the celtics be you know five and two four you know four and two um you, you shouldn't be losing any of these games though i'm not exactly sure how long i want to go in between episodes uh, as far as you know letting letting some games get played so we get some meat on the bone to talk about because uh, i'm a guy who loves stats and numbers and everything like that but you know this was a great first stretch and to be two and two that's okay that's okay you don't have kemba but you're at a place where you can at least build on on where you want to go and uh that's that's there's a lot of hope for this new season i'm just gonna sit back and enjoy it you know there's been the oh should we get james Harden? should we get um you know uh this trade exception or or whatever that somehow we acquired from gordon hayward's departure you know how does danny Ainge best use that like 
I'm just going to look at who we have on the on the court. Peyton Pritchard's looked like he's been a pretty good draft pick. I said I already love the Teague and Tristan Thompson signings. Those have worked out perfectly. And there's enough basketball to go around for, for Tatum and Brown to contribute and get theirs. Marcus Smart's being a little bit better with his shot selection. So, again, uh, my concerns early in the season are starting to show me, okay, hey, things are going to be okay with this team. So I'm not going to press the panic button or anything. But I, I'm going to uh, kind of pivot here just to the other two teams, the, the Bruins and the uh, the Red Sox here. The Bruins, like I said, they're playing in uh, two weeks. Two weeks we're going to see the puck drop. Uh, like I said, it's against New Jersey. And it's going to be very weird because there's not really like a preseason that's happening. And uh, the with the divisions being changed as much as they are, I'm not exactly sure if this sort of familiarity with teams is going to actually hurt the Bruins because the as we know the conferences have been completely aligned, uh, realigned rather, and uh, you know it's it's going to be interesting because it seems like the conference that the Bruins are in is a little bit better than maybe it would have been in a normal season. Uh, but with the Bruins losing uh, some easy opponents right there, playing Buffalo, they're playing the Islanders, the Rangers, the Flyers, the Penguins, the Capitals, and the Devils, like the entire season. So they're they're losing some of those easier games against some bad teams that have you know been up in Canada or whatnot. They're obviously uh, dealing with some perennial talents. I mean, we've seen. The Capitals uh, win the win the Stanley Cup a couple years ago. Obviously, you know the the Henrik Lundqvist uh, signing that isn't end up going to be panning out for them hurts. But like the Islanders are a great team, they really are. The Flyers are a really great team, and you're playing those guys like eight times now. So I just I wonder if the fatigue for the Bruins, you know, they're an older team. I think they benefit a lot from getting some of those easier. Uh, games against like the Canadians, for example, who haven't been very good. Uh, you know, you're losing those Ottawa games, who also have been struggling. Uh, and, and instead, you're just getting the same, you know, eight teams. Like I don't know how that's gonna look, uh, especially, you know, given the fact that uh, everything that went on with the Tuka Rask situation in the bubble, and you haven't really like I don't know how guys in the locker room feel about that. You know, and I don't know how um, Chara and Bergeron been able to keep their bodies right during this COVID situation. You know, a lot of the players looked really rusty when they came back in the bubble that was up in Toronto. And you're an older team. I don't think you benefit from being stagnant that much. And that's kind of what's going to happen. You're going to be playing the same like eight teams and you're going to be in the same cities and you're not going to really be able to practice all that much and you're not really going to have a preseason and getting fine-tuned and the same amount of training and everything like that. So, you know, while they do have the experience of being a veteran team, they also have the age uh, issue of being a veteran team. They're old. These guys are old. How, how can they keep their bodies up to peak performance when they're not playing and then you add the layers of a little bit of maybe dissension in the locker room with Tuca. I'm not saying I've heard that but 
I don't know, maybe some guys aren't happy with the way he's been playing, or maybe he just never comes back at all, or maybe he's just checked out again. Obviously, DeBrusque leaves. I'm not DeBrusque leaves. Uh, you, you keep DeBrusque, but Tory Krug leaves. How does the defensive line look? Uh, it's just going to be very interesting to see what goes on with the Bruins here. I'm looking forward to them coming back as much as I was looking forward to the Celtics because they're a team that, look, they were in the finals two years ago, so to to just write them off completely would be foolish. And then the only other team is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, they've been pretty quiet here. All of the MLB has been quiet, but they did acquire uh, Matt Andresi from the, uh, oh God, where he used to play, the Los Angeles Angels. So he's a pitcher. It's a one-year, $2.1 million deal. Uh, it's the he's a starter, but he's not necessarily a good starter. He had a 4.5 ERA in 2020, but that was obviously over that weird 61, I mean 60 game season. Uh, he he's a guy that can be uh, both in the bullpen as a reliever and also be in the starting rotation. I think the reason why he was uh, signed was the fact that he was a former Tampa Bay Ray, which obviously Heim Bloom has the the deep connections to to Tampa. This guy's 31 years old. He's not really the answer to any of your problems. He's not going to be, um, you know, someone that you circle in your calendar like, yeah, man, I can't wait for Andreas Knight. Like he's pitching tonight. Like, nope, nope, not going to be that at all. I think he's just a, a guy that I've never heard of before today. And he's not really going to be a high-impact guy, but that's literally – the only roster move that's happened in the last like three weeks for the Red Sox. That's where we are right now. Baseball slowed down their offseason. It's sort of uh, disappointing because I loved the winter meetings and all the drama that would come out of them. But we've seen, even with like J.D. Martinez, when he ended up signing with Boston, that was like during spring training in a normal year, not even a COVID year. Uh, so the, the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado signings a couple years ago, those were also extremely late in the season late in the off season rather so you're getting a a more drawn out less dramatic uh baseball off season and that's not good for the sport you know i think uh, you you're all your game is already slow and your game is already somewhat boring to certain people not to me i would never say that baseball is boring but i think to to the average consumer they lose interest after like the fourth inning and it seems like your off season is turning into that where it's just so drawn out and you know weeks at a time without a, a big name signing somewhere so people are going to lose interest i think the best thing that happened to baseball was the astros cheating scandal last year because you got so many people on the radio just tuning in everyone was like having an opinion and that was all in the off season i mean when was the last time that baseball dominated super bowl week for the media i'm not saying you should have cheating scandals but it was something to talk about and it was like finally baseball's you know doing something in the offseason that's getting some drama around it and it seems like maybe you know the offseason could be an opportunity to get people interested we know with the nba people change jerseys all the time there's trades all the time and it keeps it interesting the M the nfl is the master of, of keeping the offseason interesting from televising the combine and the NBA draft being at the end of April. Obviously, you know, they have that one like week period where it's like NBA basically in the offseason where you see like, oh, you know, uh, 
Adam Scheffner's just dropping these bombs everywhere with all the the tweets of this player signs here and this player's been traded for this player. Like it's all condensed into one week with the big offseason moves. That's exciting, and baseball doesn't have that. They don't have it at all. So it's a bit concerning. And it's hard to talk anything more about the Red Sox because they don't play until April. So even though they're probably my favorite team, I, I, I can only give them you know, a couple minutes of my time. Patriots don't deserve my time, though. I, I can't believe I talked for as much as I did about New England. I, I was almost going to just snub them from the whole program, just not talk about them at all because they've bothered me so much. And I, I, I get it. You had 20 years of greatness with Brady. Don't expect them to do that every single season, especially, you know, dynasties end. Empires fall. I mean, it happens. But to be so blatantly just going against your word, going against your way, it's as a fan, there's there's nothing more upsetting. And, you know, we got one more game against the, the New York Jets. Uh, I will never, ever, ever want to lose to the Jets I don't care what's at stake so please wipe the floor with them but I do think the Patriots dodged a bullet with uh, Trevor Lawrence probably going to Jacksonville I, I really I really think that uh, he is a perennial talent and to have Josh Allen emerge as uh, an MVP candidate already in his young career in Buffalo Tua Tagovailoa I get it, he hasn't been great, and there's been times where he's needed to be subbed out for Fitzpatrick, but he's a young guy. He obviously beat you uh, in a game you had to win. So, you know, he's shown flashes of being good, and then if you added Trevor Lawrence to New York, you know, geez, the Patriots would really be, like, scrambling to get a quarterback. Now you don't have to worry as much about, you know, one of your teams in your division. Do I think Justin Fields is going to go number two to New York? Possibly. I don't think he's as talented as Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is, like, unbelievable. What he's been able to do at Clemson uh, is nothing short of historic, and uh, he, he's probably the, the guy I'm looking forward to see come into the pros the most. I never really bought into the Baker Mayfield hype or the, the Kyler Murray hype. I'm trying to think of some number one picks. Johnny Manziel I didn't really buy into, so I'm buying into Trevor. I'm really buying into Trevor Lawrence. And we'll see what he does uh, in his final two games here. Uh, he's got he's got um, Ohio State and then the winner of Alabama Notre Dame. So so we'll see. But uh, I think the Patriots dodged a bullet there for sure. I think the and we'll close the season on a horrible horrible year for the Patriots and pretty much a really bad year for everybody else. But happy holidays, uh, happy New Year. Let's make 2021 a historic year with multiple Boston sports championships. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. But this was not a good year. Ending it with a nice little podcast. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have hope for 2021. That's The bar is so low. The bar is unbelievably low. If you get me a quarterback who throws more than five touchdown passes... If you get me a Red Sox team that just goes 500, if you give me a Bruins team that uh, has more contribution from guys not named David Pasternak, <laughs> and you give me a Celtics team where Marcus Smart 
never shoots the most shots in a single game, I'll have a great 2021. That's all I can ask for from the Boston from the Boston sports teams. That's it. That's it. A couple more touchdown passes from my QB, 500 record. Um, you know, not always relying on Pasternak to be the to to be the one who scores, and just not letting Marcus Smart go wild with the three. I'll be a happy person. So that's it. Happy New Year. Uh, and until next time, adios. Welcome to TGI McScratchies, where it's constantly New Year's Eve. Here we go again. Three, two, one. It must be wonderful to ring in the new year over and over and over. Please kill me.